Good morning. Hey, if you will, here on our West Campus, join me in welcoming into our service Lake Hills Church downtown at Brazos Hall. Yeah! Awesome. Awesome. Hey, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, as a pastor, there are a lot of different things that I get to do, but one of the most fascinating dynamics happens around milestone events. I've noticed at weddings or at funerals or other big family type events that family dynamics crystallize and rise to the surface. How many of you have ever had like some family dynamics show themselves at a wedding? Can I just see a show of hands? I'm telling you, man, good, bad, and ugly, it is on display for God and all his children to watch at a wedding. I've seen some incredible things with mothers of the bride refusing to be seated until everything was just so. I've seen grooms, and grooms are kind of like, man, what are we even doing? I mean, it's unbelievable. But I think you understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's at a family dinner. How many of you have had a family meal where you've sat down as a family over the last three weeks? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, isn't that funny how much the family dynamic comes out in those milestone moments, but as well as in those moments where we sit down and break bread together. This morning, this Palm Sunday weekend, we're going to the life of Christ when he encountered one of these milestone moments with his closest followers. This was his family for the three years of his earthly ministry as his disciples gathered for that Passover meal that forevermore would be referred to as communion or the Lord's Supper because it is in that meal and in that place in the upper room that some very real family dynamics came to the surface. In addition to celebrating communion, it was there in that room that Jesus said to them, you all are my followers, but one of you will betray me before this night is over. And now the disciples did not know who that was going to be at that time. But they began, the Bible says, to kind of murmur and discuss and like look around the room. Would you have loved to have had some video in that upper room at that moment? Just when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And they kind of started looking around the table. What, I, I don't know, Judas, I don't know. What about Bartholomew? Bartholomew has been a little sketchy. I mean, so you just don't know what's really up at that. But then the Bible goes on to say that at this Lord's Supper, the Passover, celebrating the faithfulness of God going back to Moses in the exodus from Egypt. There in that deal, the family dynamics got all of a sudden very, very real. In Luke chapter 22, verse 24, the Bible says this, a dispute also arose among them. How many of you have ever had a dispute at the family dinner table? Can I just see a show of hands? I mean, you know what this is like. It kind of gets a little tense. What about with extended family? When you've got like aunts and uncles and grandparents, you're like going, please, can we leave now? This is what's going on. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. So here we are on the eve of Jesus' trial, his crucifixion. The disciples start arguing amongst themselves Who's the baddest in the land? And they kind of start arguing amongst them. Well, you know, 
Peter, you can imagine Peter, he was never one to kind of hold back. He's like, well, you know, I did walk on the water. All the rest of y'all stayed in the boat. So I don't mean to brag. I'm just calling it what it is, you know. And the other disciples said, well, yeah, but Peter, you're always shooting your mouth off. We have been more spiritual. We've been more mature. We've gone deeper with the Lord. We don't have to talk about it like you, Peter. And so they get into this huge argument about who has the greatest status amongst the disciples. I just want to take just a second right here and tell you I am so glad that Jesus chose regular people to be his disciples and that God saw fit to include their foibles and their flaws in the biblical record. We can step back from that and go, whoa, look at what Jesus did with those guys. That means that nobody is disqualified from serving the Lord and being used in a powerful way. Tell your neighbor right now, ain't nobody disqualified. I mean, Jesus chose fishermen. Fishermen. We all know fishermen lie. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody who fishes regularly? Who doesn't say, man, we were out the other day and I caught this thing. It was, I mean, just unbelievable. And they, this big. But you should have seen the one that got away. Now, I've also known some fishermen who were known to use some rather salty language. Have you ever known a fisherman to use some salty language? Not us, but we know people. <laughs> this is whom Jesus chose. These are the people that Jesus chose to literally rock the world. And here at this first Lord's Supper, they get into an argument about who's the baddest of the bad. But Jesus does something very, very interesting. He uses this as a teachable moment, which I think is a great example for those of us who are parents. When you have these disputes that arise amongst your family at the table, watch what Jesus does here. Jesus said to them, now, listen, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. Jesus says right here that the gospel changes everything. This flips the leadership paradigm on its head. Now, this is not about status. This is not about privilege. This is about responsibility. This is about serving. It's amazing to me, after 22 and a half years of marriage, after parenting for 19, almost 20 years, I still forget sometimes that service works. Serving other people actually works better than the alternative over time. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. Then he asks them this kind of rhetorical question. Look at what he said. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? That's, that's the one who has the status. But I am among you as one who serves. Now, 
I don't know this. I, I, didn't, I don't have the video from that dinner. But I've got to believe that at this point, the disciples' heads are spinning. I've I got to believe that at this point, they're kind of going, what? Wait a minute. The one who is at the table is greater than the one who serves. But here, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is saying that he is one who serves. You see, it is absolutely impossible to walk as Jesus walked, to walk his way without serving. In order to be a true Christ follower, in order to be an authentic Christian, we must serve. We must serve intentionally and deliberately. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you will, take out that program again and go to the notes page because what God is going to give us this morning is something that works in every single arena in which you live and walk and breathe and do business. Every single arena that you come in contact with or that you walk into is enhanced and improved if you and I choose to serve, to walk this way. Now, <clears throat> I, I just want to begin this morning by just getting very, very honest with each other. Serving is tough. I mean, serving is hard work. How many of you are men? Let me just see a show of hands from the guys in the room. Now, ladies, don't be laughing as soon as I talk about serving in men right off the bat. But if I may, for just a moment, guys, kind of break the code and share kind of a secret that we like to keep to ourselves. Serving flies in the face of everything that is male. I mean, testosterone is a great thing. You know, if you're, if you're pumping iron, if you're hunting and gathering meat for the family for the winter, testosterone's great. But testosterone does not naturally help serving. Does anybody else feel that way? Women, keep your hands down, please. Guys, how many of you know that testosterone kind of works against our capacity, our serve quotient, if you will? And yet Jesus says we are to be serving. Now, I have it on good authority that women are not alone or immune from those things that challenge and threaten your serve capacity. And so I want to just kind of mention a few things about why serving is tough. Just some things to, to be aware of. If you will, just kind of write these down. Why serving is hard. Number one, selfishness. Just our, our innate, inherent selfishness. Now, the fact that we are selfish is indisputable. All you have to do is spend time with a three-year-old and you understand people, as a general rule, are given to selfishness. Some less than others, some more, but selfishness makes serving really, really tough. Number two, pride. Now, pride's different from selfishness. Pride is that inherent, innate sense within us that maybe we're above serving somebody else. You know what I find interesting? is how people treat waiters and waitstaff in a restaurant. I think that is fascinating to, to see kind of how people treat people who cannot do anything for them. Do, do you 
acknowledge the waiter? Do you ask? My wife, Julie, is unbelievable at this. She will have not just like a, a pleasant exchange with a waiter, but I mean like a conversation. Like, oh, you're from Dallas. We lived in Dallas. Your mom is sick. How, how long has she been in the hospital? I'm talking about unbelievable. Julie was making reservations at a hotel one time on the phone. And the, while she was making conversations, I walked by the room making reservations. I walked by the room and I heard this from Julie on the phone. Oh my goodness, have y'all already set a date? <laughs> and so I poked my head in the room and I said, what are you doing? She goes, I'm making reservations for our trip. <laughs> then why are you asking that reservation agent if, if they've set a date? She's engaged. <laughs> I love Julie so much. But I'm saying that's just kind of how she operates. She, it doesn't matter to her. It has no bearing. You, you could be the king of the world or the reservation agent at a hotel. She's going to treat you exactly the same. There's no pride. There's no guile in that. So pride makes it hard. Number three, this is a big one. Marginitis. Marginitis. It's been a long time since I made up a word for you. But you know, one of the main reasons we don't serve is because we're too busy. We've got too much going on. We are overscheduled, overbooked, overcommitted. And because we are flying from one appointment to the next, one meeting to the next, we don't have time to really pay attention and see where we have an opportunity to serve. We're so focused on what we've got to do. Point A to point B. Huh. Straight as line. Marginitis just means when we have chewed up all of the margin in our lives. I had an appointment two weeks ago, and I had to drive across town for it, and it was so far over, I'd never been there before, so I left early, and I got there 10 minutes before the appointment started. And I remember sitting there in my truck going, 10 minutes. And, and just for a split second, I go, man, what if I just sat here and listened to the radio? What if I just sat here? And prayed. What if I just sat here and just kind of was still for 10 minutes? Itis just means an inflammation. If you have appendicitis, your appendix is inflamed. A lot of us, our margin time is inflamed. It's red and angry. It's about to explode. And that marginitis gets in the way of really and truly serving. Number four is unfamiliarity. Some of us are just unfamiliar with serving. <laughs> We've lived so long in the natural flow of life that we were born into, we just never really even made it a priority. So we're unfamiliar with it. So we don't ever really truly think about it. And then the fifth reason that serving is hard, entitlement entitlement we think we're entitled many times to other people serving us we're, we're keeping score in our relationships well you know I apologize the last time this time you owe me the reconciliation initiation especially in our kids we can do them such a favor if we teach our kids to serve I think about middle school students high school students in our church 
who week in and week out serve in the children's ministry, whose parents have said, you benefited from that ministry, so now you get to pour back into that ministry. Parents who say, you know what, we will serve, not because we did this with our kids and continue to, not because daddy's the pastor, but because this is what we do. We will pour back into, we will serve somewhere, we'll do something. And it's not only serving in the church, but that's a part of it. Hundreds of you will volunteer to serve next weekend at Easter. Hundreds of you already have. And you will choose to set aside your comfort zone, your preferences for Easter brunch, so that you can serve people who are far from God who don't yet know how extravagantly he loves them. And you will see lives change through that service. Some of you, because you're out in the parking lot wearing a beautiful, bright yellow vest. Dodging cars as they come looking for the perfect spot. But Jesus was not through in that upper room. The Bible says that Jesus then did something absolutely radical. This is found in the book of John. In John chapter 13, John's account of the same version that we were, the same story we were just looking at in Luke. In John 13, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you have to understand in this context, the washing of feet in a home was common. These people wore sandals. They walked along dusty roads, and their feet got nasty. They got dirty. And so it was not uncommon in a home to have a wash basin and towel beside the front door. And in more affluent homes, there was typically a servant assigned to greet guests into the home and to wash the feet as they entered before the meal actually began. And so apparently, this was one of those kinds of homes. There was a basin right there. There was a towel right there for this purpose. It's interesting to me that all 12 of Jesus' disciples walked right past that basin. All 12 of the disciples saw that towel in that basin. They would have known what it was for. But they walked in to sit down for the evening meal, for the Passover. But it was Jesus who got up, fashioned the towel around him like an apron, and then got down on his knees to wash the feet of the disciples. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. You see, Jesus did not forfeit any of his authority by serving this is one of the great myths of servant leadership. Servant leadership is real. Jesus 
just showed us what it looks like. He just taught us what it looks like. But there are some incredible myths that are very, very prevalent about what servant leadership really and truly is. Jesus said, I am teacher. I am Lord. This is my role. This is my responsibility. But that does not negate my responsibility to serve. And as a matter of fact, in serving, his authority was actually amplified. It was actually increased because he got on his hands and knees. Real quickly, let me just share with you some myths about servant leadership. Servant leadership is proactive. It is not passive. People think servant leadership, okay, here we go. What do you all want to do? That's not servant leadership. Servant leadership is empowering. It does empower other people, but it is not popular. Servant leadership does not, you know, want to win most popular. Y'all like me? Is everything okay? I'm trying to be a servant leader. No, no. Jesus took some very unpopular stands with the disciples. There, there were times when Jesus hammered them. He was not popular. He did not always say what they wanted to hear, but he was always empowering them. Servant leadership is engaging. It's engaging with the people around you, the people whom you lead, but it is not consensus building. Okay, we're going to gather in the room. We're going to have some team building exercises. Bob, come here. Bob, I want you to face this way. Ralph, you come over here. Okay, Bob, I want you to begin just falling. Just fall back, and you've got to trust Ralph on this. How many of you have ever had a trust-building exercise at work, something like that? That's the worst idea in the whole world. Don't ever do that. That is dumb. We're going we're gonna to build consensus. When everybody agrees, then we're going to move forward. No. As a matter of fact, in this very room, Peter... Peter speaks up yet again. He goes, Lord, you cannot wash my feet. I will not have it. And Jesus goes, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no place with me in anything else. And then, of course, Peter, being Peter, said, then wash my hands and my head also, Lord. <laughs> but see, Jesus is, Jesus is not interested in building consensus He's not interested in a unanimous decision. Genuine leadership knows where to go. Genuine leadership is taking people where they need to go, not always where they want to go. Jesus took those disciples to some very, very deep places. Every single person in that room, with the exception of Judas, was martyred for their faith in Christ. Jesus got them to the place where they were willing to do that. Not one of them knew what they were in for when they signed up. And yet every single one of them died the death of a martyr believing that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. So it's not always consensus building. Jesus goes on in verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Check this out. 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. That word blessed is really, really important. It doesn't just mean, oh, blessings. It includes that. But when Jesus uses the word bless or blessing, the sense of that word in the original language is fulfilled joy, fulfilled peace. If you do these things, you will be fulfilled with the joy of God, with the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that guards your heart in Christ Jesus. Now that you know these things, now that you've seen Jesus wash feet, you do the same thing. So, how do we do it? I mean, it's one thing to walk out of here and go, well, I, I, man, I, need, I need to serve. I, I need to do that. How do you do that? I want to do something that we haven't done in a while. We're going to make this a little interactive. Downtown, if you're new, just kind of go with the flow on this one, too, and the people around you will help you out. On your notes page, I want you to write down the side of the page the word walk, W-A-L-K. This entire series of messages we've called Walk This Way as we've traced the life of Christ in the final days of his earthly ministry before the crucifixion, before the resurrection that we celebrate next weekend in Easter. And we've seen how to walk as Jesus walked. To walk like Jesus walked in sharing our faith with other people like the Zacchaeus protocol. To walk like Jesus walked and to have compassion for people. Compassion for those who are less fortunate. Compassion for those who don't yet know how much God loves them. Last weekend, Pastor Galen Clark brought a phenomenal message of obedience how to walk like Christ and to, to live obediently before God. This whole thing today, walking as Christ walked in service, that's what this is all about. Not only for Easter, but for Easter and beyond. So W-A-L-K, and we like to make this a little interactive, so I want you to, with passion and enthusiasm, everybody kind of get a deep breath kind of gear up. Come on. Give me a W. w. Wear the towel of a servant. Wear it everywhere you go. Wear the towel of a servant. Wear the towel of a servant. Somebody who looks for those opportunities. Now, We've talked about serving in church, serving in our community, but let me tell you where serving begins. Serving begins at home. Rut row. This just got real, didn't it? If you're not yet married, if you live by yourself, serving for you begins with your closest friends, your closest relationships looking for ways to serve them that resonate with them. Wear the towel of a servant. 
Number two, A. Give me an A. A. Accept the leading role of a servant. You know how many people will say, well, I, I'm not a leader. I, I'm not really kind of one of those out front guys. And, and that's cool. You, you don't have to be like, you know, George Patton or, you know, Tom Landry or Vince Lombardi necessarily. But you are absolutely called to be a leader as you follow Christ. You are called to be a person of influence. Jesus said you will be salt and light in this world. And you and I have got to own that. We've got to choose to accept the role of leader as we serve the people around us. L, give me an L. L. This was tough. I'm just going to tell you right up front. Lead somewhere by serving faithfully over time. Lead somewhere by serving faithfully over time time some of you will serve for the first time in the church next weekend on easter some of you will serve for the first time by going to saturday night service you'll be like and i cannot tell my mom i went to easter on saturday and that's fine we won't send her a note but when you choose to serve faithfully over time God does something supernatural that only God can do in your heart or in my heart. He begins to shape us. He begins to move in us so that we more closely resemble the character and the nature of Christ. As we do it over time, serving is never convenient. It's not But when you see people who have served faithfully over time, you see people transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. This is how God does this. Now, as hard as leading somewhere by serving faithfully over time is, the last one is the toughest of all. So I want you to really, really gear up, if you will. Give me a K. K. Kill the flesh. It's the only way it happens. You and I have to kill our flesh, our, our natural drive, our natural bent. But there's one little problem. I can't. You can't kill the flesh on your own. Here's how the Bible describes it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you within you lurking is a great word isn't it lurking it's kind of lurking we put those things to death on the cross of christ that's how you kill the flesh 
you take stock of the things in your life that are sinful, earthly desires, not of God, and you choose to nail them to the cross. You choose to crucify the flesh as Jesus was crucified on the cross. So whatever it is in my life, whatever it is in your life that is sin, whatever it is that is an ungodly desire or drive or motivation, when you see those things kind of start to rear their ugly head and they go from lurking to leading out, you remember this is what Easter is all about. That's, that's what this thing is, is all about is taking that which is not of God in my life and putting it on the cross of Christ to kill the flesh, to decide I will walk this way in the power and leading of God's Holy Spirit. The beauty of Easter is absolutely fulfilled in the resurrection, but the resurrection is empowered by the crucifixion. It is because Jesus died on the cross that the resurrection is so glorious because it is so, it is because of that crucifixion that the resurrection is so powerful. To walk this way means that we kill the flesh in our lives so that the spirit of God can be resurrected within us and through us. That, on this Palm Sunday, is Easter. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to ask right now, if nobody moving or stirring for any reason, please, because this is holy ground. If you're here today and you have never stepped into that relationship, you have never crucified that flesh initially, We want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. You may be downtown at Brazos Hall in a rented event space here on our West Campus in our worship center. But the fact of the matter is, God's got you here for this moment. For you to take that initial step of faith into a relationship with God. Just right where you are, I want to invite you to pray a prayer of commitment. A prayer of confession. Just silently where you are, just talk to God and say this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I choose to believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. And so I ask that you would crucify my sin on that cross. I confess my sin to you, Lord, holding nothing back. And I claim your forgiveness. I accept the gift of new life 
that you offer in your resurrection once and for all. Right here, right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. If that was your prayer today and you meant it, I want to ask you if you would raise your hand and hold it up high for just a moment. If you just raise your hand, and as you raise that hand, I want to let you know why we do this. It's for you. It's so that you can mark this moment, the most important moment of your life, and know that it's real, that God did it, that you responded to his grace. Because there will come a moment or, or a day when you kind of look back and you wonder, was that real? Did it happen? And this helps you to know that it's real. It is the first step in walking this way. As a church, we celebrate this moment in your life. We're honored, we are blessed to be in the room when God did that in your heart and in your mind, in your life. And so as you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you welcome home. Thank you.